1: speaks for the wisdom that comes from the heart. Can people be taught to listen to what the heart does when top-down and bottom-up information is fed to the center of the person listening? Yes, they can. Many excellent therapists do this automatically, their knowledge coming through the compassion and connection felt in their own hearts. We sometimes see this as working with the counter-transference. That sounds professional and very important. It's also something that many therapists struggle to understand. When that dynamic is translated into hear what's being said, notice how you feel, body and mind, and let your heart speak the truth that emerges from that. It becomes organic and much simpler to understand and use constructively with clients. Our hearts connect with each other. The mind and body help the heart remain grounded and centered, freeing it to share in powerful ways beyond just top-down or bottom-up only approaches. Valeria Tellis interviews Lisa Danilchuk the author of How You Can Heal, A Strength-Based Guide to Trauma Recovery. Lisa Danilchuk, LMFT, E-R-Y-T, is an author, licensed psychotherapist, and founder of the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery. A graduate of UCLA and Harvard University, her work has pioneered the field of trauma-informed yoga and transformed our understanding of embodiment practices and therapeutic work. More than 300 providers from over 25 countries have completed Lisa's Yoga for Trauma Y4T online training program, the first virtual program to train providers offering yoga for trauma recovery. She serves on the board and as UN committee co-chair for the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Disassociation, was elected to the role of secretary in 2018 and was nominated president-elect in 2020. She's written for publications like Good Therapy and the American Psychological Association and was named one of the top 20 inspirational yoga teachers to follow in 2016. Honored as one of Lululemon's first U.S. ambassadors, her blog has also been recognized as a top 25 yoga blog. Meet Lisa at HowWeCanHeal.com. Here is the interview with Lisa Danilchuk.
0: In your own words, who is Lisa (laughs) Denilchuk? That's
2: a great question. How many words do I have? I mean, and you're asking this as someone who's very interested in identity, too. So I think the first few things we say when someone says, who are you, is really important. I'm an energy of love. (laughs) Uh, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, yes. I, the classic things. I'm, mm. you know, I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've always been really interested in healing. I've always been really interested in in academia as well, and studying healing. And obviously, I'm a human being as well, so I've been through all my own ups and downs and ins and outs, and navigated my own losses and experiences. And so, at the whole of what I'm at least doing professionally is trying to share that um, with other people. And I know there's been no shortage of challenges and um, ups, downs, ins and outs, left and rights in the last couple of years in particular. So, So I'm really glad to be here and thank you for having me.
0: What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience?
2: That is such an excellent and profound question. And... I think a lot of people say, especially in spiritual communities, that it's learning and it's growth. Um, and I've, I've worked, you know, as a psychotherapist, uh, with a lot of different forms of trauma and even the sort of, while some people, the narrative that everything happens for a reason or everything happens to teach us something works, I think the more, I almost want to say, the more gruesome the trauma yeah. or the more you know, violent or gruesome or, or sadistic, even the harder it is to for some people, I think some people still find that that meaning. But I think the harder it is to for me, even as a listener, to embody that with the other person or to right. to hold that, oh, this happened so you could learn compassion and you could learn love. It's like, well, I think you could have learned compassion, you know, not to be confrontational but like without being raped as a child, right? Yeah. Like I don't yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult when you and I think it's important we face these bigger traumas and experiences when we are creating a, a really wide narrative like that. So, I do feel though that there is some energy of evolution that happens um an evolution of of humanity and that so many people I have worked with who've been through the most horrific of traumas really do find within themselves an energy of love, of compassion, of maybe not tolerance for what happened to them, but transcendence of it so that they're able to be conscious enough of what's happening inside themselves and their reactions to their trauma and the impact of the trauma and the impact of trauma across generations that they then choose not to embody it and continue it. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we can do as human beings is, is be self-aware enough, mm-hmm. most of the time, yeah. as much as possible, yeah. Yeah. to not pass down a legacy of harm or of of trauma or of of violence. Or I think in spiritual terms we might say of separation. Yeah. So so when you ask what why are we here or what is the yeah. purpose or what does it mean to be embodied as a human being? I do find that when people, often through yoga meditation and and other similar practices, find a steadiness or an energy, uh, whether it feels they, they describe it within themselves or outside of themselves through a religion or a spiritual practice, when there's an energy of love, compassion, you know, unconditional love, universal compassion, that really seems to be transformative and and so I've come to lean into that and trust into that and when you are in those really heavy or confrontational challenging to make sense of traumas at the very least or you know at the most we can lean into a sense of of empathy of compassion and of of the truth that we all are vulnerable to to that harm and, and that seems to go in the direction of connecting us and that, you know, at a physiological and spiritual level tends to feel like a good thing for me <laughs> and yeah. for others too, from what I hear. So, so to boil it down, I would say connection, mm. compassion mm. and evolution.
0: How did you come to these understandings, Lisa? Do you have personal experience with trauma at that level, that you had to transcend through yoga and spirituality, or through your work,
2: I would say through all of it. Um, yeah. All of it has contributed contributed to that yeah. that you know lens or that way of understanding things or seeing the world. I will say um, in my own experience of trauma, which you know, when I was 22, my brother died really suddenly. And that was very impactful for me. And I, as someone who was already doing yoga and studying psychology, I mean, I kind of dove into it head first. And I did a ton of yoga. Yoga was the most mm. helpful thing for me at that mm. point in my life. But I also feel like, and I know other people who felt this way too, and obviously every experience is unique, but when there's a loss of love in the form of a, a person and someone passes, it's really interesting to see at the same time of that loss, the amount of love that's also present in the missing them, but also in the rest of life. Mm, And so for me, I felt as much as I felt grief and I felt, you know, shock or loss or all the feelings. I mean, we could go on for hours with a list of the feelings. I also felt a really deep connection to to people around me and to an energy of love and of of service or of supporting other people. So I started doing some I, I think there's like a, a almost a craving for depth that can come with a really deep experience of loss or of trauma. And so that can be its own gift too where we go from, you know, you can hear people who feel sad or depressed or have experienced a significant loss questioning everything and questioning doesn't have to, you know, that can be a great thing and you can dig really deep and then, and then find things that are the most meaningful for you, that are the most worthy of your life energy. And, and yeah, I've just, I'm not the only one I know that's felt a great loss, but at the same time, a really abounding presence of love in the same by the same token so it's an interesting, so I think that very much informs mm. my understanding and it's sort of a, I'm sure there are people who are listening who go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably others who are like, huh? What? How does that work? And, <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> and we all have our own experiences, but that was definitely a big part of mine. So it's it's infused my work. And like I said, I've I've seen it show up in a lot of different ways with other people as well.
0: The way you speak, it sounds to me like love, it's always there. So it just takes different forms, but it's always there. It never goes away. I love the way you say that many times, the energy of love and energy. How would you describe love, Lisa? Is that the same as compassion?
2: I would say that they're connected, but not necessarily the same. I feel like compassion, there's some amount of understanding and empathy in that, and you know, when I say love, it's again, like digging deep underneath all forms of that, right? There's familial love and romantic love and love for pets and love for the earth and love for things you do or your passions. And I think I say the energy of it because there's something deeper or more transcendent there that I'm not sure I can really put Mm -hmm. words to, but I would, I would say that it's something that I, I have felt and feel in really deep, yoga practices or meditations you know we we talk about the fluctuations of our minds and how our minds are always sort of stewing and brewing and processing which isn't a bad thing Mm -hmm. but when that surface of the lake calms down and we can see through the depths like what what else is there and i feel like that that's what i would describe as that energy of love and and my personal Mm -hmm. feelings and understanding is we just all have that within us somehow somewhere you know, obviously I'm open to listening to other people's experiences. If they don't feel they have that, or if they feel like it's different, that's fine. Um, But I even feel it in nature and Mm. trees and still moments. And so it feels bigger than just humans to me. And it feels like a larger, I think you, I could call it a a larger spiritual force, but again, it feels sort of constrained by words.
0: Yeah. It seems like there's no way to describe that. I love the way you say that it's um. In a way, what you're trying to describe is beyond thoughts, beyond mental activity. That's what we see in nature. It's uh, no stories. It's very, I mean, saying a lot, but in in a very profound, uh, in a different way, let's say.
2: And I remember, yeah, and I remember reading, I think it was from Anne Frank, who obviously went through, you know, horrific traumatic experiences saying that if you can just go outside and be with the elements, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but then then all of a sudden there's this sense that everything really is okay. Mm, Despite all of the challenges and all of the horrific things that we see in the world, there can be, I suppose that might come across as peace too. Right. But just some, some energy that's bigger than our limited perspective
0: is healing a destination per se? Can we come to the point of saying that we are healed or healing is an ongoing process?
2: I would absolutely call it a process. I would absolutely yeah. call it a process. Um, and I think there's a very thankfully popular and common narrative now that it's not linear. So we know it's not an ABCD yeah. process or a follow the five steps and you're done process. Right. Particularly, I think with grieving too, it, it can be iterative or circular or all kinds of, you know, growing like a vine all over the place and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, searching for, for light through the night yeah. and the dark and the, in the daytime and everything. But, um, I think there are times we can say, all right, you know, I had this experience and I've processed the emotions around it. I've learned some things from it and, you know, it's not alive. The, the pain from that experience isn't alive in me anymore. So I do think as much as it's iterative and ongoing, I do think it's possible to feel like I've healed from that. Or, you know, somebody asked me recently, you know, what would you say with losing your brother on a scale of zero to 10? Zero being I haven't healed anything and 10, I healed everything. And I said nine, because I was like, I of course, I still miss him when I think of him. You know, it's never going to be, I'm never going to feel like glad or okay or neutral that that happened, but I've done a lot of work and it doesn't, doesn't feel like it interrupts my day or my life or it's this, you know, such a present process as it was, especially for the first few years. And so I think it absolutely depends on the experience and the individual, but, but I do believe there's power in knowing that we can come to a place where even if it's, it's a nine out of 10, we say, yeah, yeah, I've healed a lot from that. I've healed from that. <laughs> I'm still a human and I'm still working on whatever comes up day to day. And who knows, you know, maybe right. another piece will arise next week and I'll mm-hmm. work with it. But True. but there's yeah. a sense of integration with it. And there's not a sense that it's it's interrupting, right? It's more connected.
0: Mm. I love that this idea of integration, which comes to this understanding that we need to be open to life. To both, everything that comes, good and bad, because this is the experience in the human body. It seems like it wouldn't be possible without these um, opposites. So mm. it's like this interesting dance.
2: Right. And I mean, I don't think people really feel a lot of grief for people they didn't feel deeply connected to and mm-hmm. have, have a lot of love for, right? I mean, there's losses mm. feel different. And when someone's a major part of your life and your heart, it's a very different experience than if they're peripheral or you don't even know them. Uh, as sad as that is in general, it's not as emotionally impactful so there's that you know as much love as there is is as much grief as there is and um, mm. and then hopefully as much love sort of shows up in the absence of that person too but it's hard to measure these things or use those terms like as much of this but right. but it is interesting to see that you know grief really is an expression of of love
0: i guess i'll ask you questions about what you do yoga how did you discover yoga lisa
2: I showed up at UCLA as an undergrad and wanted to try something new that I'd never done before and signed up for a class at the Recreation Center. and that's how it all started. It was just wow. a curiosity moment. and I remember, you know, struggling to breathe and downward dog and yeah. you know <laughs> there being sort of, there was at UCLA, so there were a couple, Famous names in class. (laughs) Like I remember being like, "Wow, what is this thing, and where am I?" And at the time, I still very much had the I had very I think an older projection of what yoga was. I thought I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and. Berkeley just across the bay where there's kind of a hippie style presence there that that's what I associated yoga with at that time and I think nowadays we have a very different association with it or or younger people I've talked to have different associations uh, but I just wanted to try something and it stuck. <laughs> I went from one class to the next huh. to the next until I said okay there's no more classes here what studio do I go to and then I moved to Italy and had to find yoga right away because it was such a big part of my life and it just kept going on from there.
0: So what is it about yoga that is uh, attracts more women than men? from what I see, not sure if that's true, but it seems to me. So talk to me about that for a moment. What is that about yoga that's so healing? And why does it attract more women than men?
2: I mean, we have to kind of dive into some, you know, generalizations or mm-hmm. gender stereotypes to yeah, answer that yeah, question, right, which I'm, right. you know, I think we can do, but yeah. I would two things come to mind. And one is being nurturing getting in touch with your emotions observing observing yourself and others in a certain way that i think women are you know perhaps there's a biology to this but also socialized to you know process their emotions in groups more and talk, you know connect with friends and be really open and vulnerable whereas men are not really socialized to talk about their feelings you know there's a lot of don't cry suck it up be a man i think that yeah. still exists today even if not in not so much maybe in my circles, but uh-huh. it's there, you know, we hear it and we see it. And the other piece I would just say in terms of physicality that I don't know any sort of stats or research on this, but it seems that, you know, women are a little more pliable <laughs> like, yeah. physically. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, there's always exceptions, but every, every yoga for men class that I've seen or intro to yoga for men class that I've seen marketed is all about you don't have to be bendy. You can sit like, we're going to use a lot of props and you can do this and you can do it. And I do hear, you know, even as a yoga teacher for over 20 years now, I've, I've had a lot of men say to me, well, I'm not flexible enough for yoga. And I've heard fewer, I have heard women say that and, and other genders, you know, Um, transgender and non-binary people say similar things I'm not flexible or I don't I feel like I need to get in shape before I go to yoga class you know just like we say that for the gym people say that for yoga so I think there's a physicality where men tend to probably want to excel at something and not have to face that you know bendiness that seems to be a little easier for female bodies and then also Mm. the the element of oh now we're going to really dive into like how are you feeling now and how are you feeling now and what's going on now and mm. and, and that can be mm. a lot yeah. if you're socialized to just plow through it.
0: Yeah, that's sad to hear, isn't it? That we are socialized to basically suffer. <laughs> um yeah.
2: And it happens wow. to women and people of all genders, yeah. but yeah. there's there's yeah. definitely a tough guy narrative out there that it definitely exists.
0: So, you wrote the book, many other books, but uh, the one for today that I would love to talk to you about briefly is uh, How You Can Heal A Strength Based Guide to Trauma Recovery. Talk to me about the inspiration and intention of writing this book, Lisa.
2: Yeah, so it, it kind of fits in with the others. You know, my first book was Embodied Healing and I, I wanted to write about yoga and trauma recovery and so I wrote a little bit about my own experience and kind of general terms of, you know, what the basis of why why yoga for trauma recovery. Yeah. And then one of the things I've found is that writing about trauma, like all of a sudden we're already going into potentially some really serious and confronting emotions and experiences and so and this was also part of my master's work was to look at, well, how do we, you know, yes, there's trauma. Yes, there are these challenges. How do we bolster people? How do we access resilience and, you know, sort of bring in prevention and early intervention? And one of the concepts there that's been really consistent for me throughout my career is something called resourcing, which is, Psychological resourcing, meaning connecting with positive memories or, you know, imaginal resources, things in your imagination or based on maybe positive stories or narratives you've heard or people you've known or movies, even or, you know, fictional characters. So we can use our minds and our bodies to find a soothing and supportive space. We can connect with feeling protected or nurtured or inspired. through different avenues and so how you can heal is a book that's all you know don't even really talk about trauma it's more just these are all these resources and it's it's informed by yoga and that it follows the chakra system there's you know a flow to the entire book in terms of where we start and how you're resourcing but, but it's also just a ton of ideas of how you could ground yourself, center yourself, support yourself when, when things are, are very difficult and you're feeling overwhelmed or challenged by a stressful experience, an emotional experience, a traumatic experience, a pandemic. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I've, I've given that book away so many times yeah. in the last couple of years because it's just so relevant. And I think as much as people are processing a lot of emotions, sort of collectively we're doing that, even processing gets exhausting, right? Like really feeling your grief and really feeling your anger and sorting through why and sorting through how and understanding intergenerational trauma. Like all of that stuff is a lot. And so the in the moment resourcing and yoga is very much a part of that. Breathing can be a huge part of that. Can rather than being in that really big picture, it can take you into, okay, this is what's happening right now. And these are my five senses. And this is what I need right now. And this is what I'm going to give myself right now. And a lot of times we, you know, try to regulate our minds with our minds, like true, so this true. is how I'm feeling, so I'm gonna think differently, yeah. <laughs> or I've got yeah. a strategy. True. But when we use and really embody and you know, bring our bodies in and, and use embodied practices, like we can look to our bodies for self-regulation almost more mm, <laughs> than, than so mental true. strategies. And I think we kind of forget there's a very, you know, mind-body approaches like there's like they're two different things we can kind of forget that like our head and our thoughts are like they're on top of something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's always there and it's all very connected. So using our breath and using movement and using Mm. just different, even physiological practices, um, creative practices can, can be of a great service. And so that's, that's where, how you can heal came from. And like I said, I think it's just so relevant today and in an ongoing way. I mean, I use these things all the time, yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah, I love and your
2: work. And my clients yeah. do
0: too. Thank you. Yeah, It makes a lot of sense to me. When I think about those components, the body, the mind, um, which is mental, emotional activities, and then the spirit or maybe the energy of love that we spoke earlier, I wonder if we can bring that, also get to not know but realize that, more often, that presence of undescribable love, because this is something that I'm very interested in, in not just moving from my head to my body, which I do often, but also expanding to the place of love that's untouchable, that is very abstract, the mind cannot grasp. Have you tapped into that in the sense of um, even writing about it, Lisa? that there's all this space of the spirit, the soul, or whatever we call it?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I'm thinking of two things as you're talking. And one of them is when I when I got the feeling that I wanted to write, I had those little um like alphabetize the sentence magnets on my fridge i don't remember where i got them but you know when you can have those you can create a sentence with magnets yeah yeah. and i pulled the one that said right and i pulled the one that said love and it was at the top Mm. of my fridge for Mm. so long that it like turned brown and withered (laughs) (laughs) somewhere but it was just like right love Mm. and so i Mm. do feel very connected to it in that way and and one of the other things that comes to mind is as you're talking about that mind-body connection is we talk in trauma-informed yoga about top down where we're sort of put my foot here put my hand there and that happens in yoga obviously and then bottom up which is like well what does my body want what does it need what is it you know what kind of movement is it sort of calling for which is very different than sort of putting yourself into a form or a shape or a yoga pose and there's another one, though, and, and I have to credit my mom because I this came from speaking with her. It's like, what about the center out? You know, what mm. about from your heart? And it's like, oh, yeah. And so I ended up writing about that. I think it's in my third book, yeah. Yoga for Trauma Recovery. But, but I think that's a lot of what happens in therapeutic work, whether sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. But there's a, and that's what comes back to, I think, that compassion and, you know, when you know most of us have a sense of vibe a feeling when we're sitting with someone and they're they're empathizing they're feeling with us or they're compassionate they care they they you know have an understanding of how that might have impacted us like so when there's a sense of heart there that's very different and than just i'm telling my body to do this or i'm self-regulating right yeah, <laughs> so yes, but yeah being in that space, I think is a very self-regulating experience, right? I mean, I can think of the times when I feel really connected, like now, even in, in nature, I'll be, you know, looking at a tree or I'll be climbing a mountain and looking at a view or just, you know, smelling pine or something. And I can feel some of that. And so I think it's unique for people, what connects them, but I do feel like that's what spiritual and even sometimes religious practices are, are seeking, right? Like how do I stay connected to this instead of getting distracted by all of those, you know, all of the things in life or work or all these thoughts, how do I sort of go back to center? And it's interesting when you ask people to point to themselves they don't usually point to their head, right? They're usually pointing to like the center of their chest. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. well, that's me. Yeah. And, and it's funny because yeah. even in yoga and energy medicine, the center is usually down in your belly, but I haven't really seen people say me and point to their abdomen either. So <laughs> <laughs> there's something really interesting about that that we sort of identify. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe that's just learned because you've seen other people do it. Yeah. But for the most part, people feel some sort of centralized, you know, some sort of center there, or some sort of identity or connection. Um so it's an interesting space to to explore and it it's um always gonna be unique, but there does seem to be like when we hug or we put our hearts together, right? When we there's something about it.
0: So you are the founder of the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery. And also, you have an um, online training program called Yoga for Trauma, Y4T. So, talk to me about these two companies, of these two works that you do, Lisa.
2: Yeah. So the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery, I founded in 2017 and I started doing some in-person workshops in Oakland, California. Everything's online now. Um, and Yoga for Trauma is the kind of flagship course and the primary training for the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery. And the goal is really to educate Yoga professionals, mental health professionals, and even you know allied health and wellness professionals in trauma-informed practice, in how yoga can be healing, but also how it can be triggering, and where things we've seen things go wrong and people be harmed even within yoga and meditation and and spiritual communities. So it's um, the the Y for T program, you know. That's really just the shorthand I started using because I was writing yoga for trauma over and over again everywhere.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, I was like, okay, too
2: too many letters here. (laughs) Kind of like my last name. (laughs) So that's a kind of foundational program in trauma informed principles, and and really builds, you know, from healthy dynamics and and into somatic practices understanding our nervous system understanding yoga philosophy not just you know the shapes and the practice and then kind of concluding with like how do we offer this to different different groups of people trauma isn't uniform it doesn't always act a certain way I mean there's certain biological things that are common but you know we need to really be responsive in offering trauma-informed care and trauma-informed yoga so that's a foundational eight-week program I also run a nine month um, advanced training and mentorship program where we read nine books throughout the season. We do individual support calls and monthly support consultations with the group. So that's kind of the advanced version of the program. So both of those are housed under the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery. And I think as you saw, you know, some of those, the graduates of the advanced training are now kind of stepping into bigger leadership roles within the trauma informed yoga. Uh, world and so I've kind of had them on as guest blogs on the website and they're kind of offering their own unique authentic way of sharing the work all over the world uh, which is really cool to see because I know when I started doing this work I, I definitely felt very alone people would say what do you do <laughs> like, huh? ah, yeah. how does that work <laughs> and so it's nice to be you know the center is really meant to be um, training grounds, but also a place to build community around the work because it, it just didn't exist when I started. And so I figured, hey, if I don't see anybody else doing it in the way that feels really good to me, I'll do it myself. Hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's cre- being creative, right? I love what you do, Lisa, what you do, how you do it, the way you express your enthusiasm for the work, um, your knowledge, your wisdom. I love your wisdom, or the wisdom, universal wisdom that you allow to flow through you. It's really beautiful. It can be felt in the sound of your voice, the way you express it, and and that love (laughs) that cannot be described. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you for your presence in this reality. A blog post that you wrote, it's titled what got me through the last four years
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you yeah focus love commitment rest
2: mm-hmm. that's insightful
0: would you like to make a comment about that blog post and why you wrote it
2: i think um i wrote it in a time where it felt to me like there were so many things being triggered like people the people i work with you know i have I have clients who are different genders, different sexualities, um, different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And, you know, I wrote it after a time in the U.S. where I feel like a lot of people who have those identities or have varying identities felt excluded, felt threatened, felt oppressed, felt not welcome or not celebrated, um, not included. And so honestly felt to me like my job was just so much harder because leadership dynamics and power dynamics, you know, they're, they're powerful (laughs) and, um, um, they set the stage for, how we feel day to day. Do we feel safe enough? Do we feel supported? And these are attachment words. Do you feel Mm -hmm. soothed? Do you feel supported? Do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? And for a long time there, you know, most of the people I support weren't feeling that way because of kind of the messages they were getting from, from leadership at the time. And so what got me through was definitely like committing to supporting those people taking more rest breaks and that sort of slow steady one day at a time one thing at a time I'm doing what I can sort of approach and I do think even after you know I also love hiking and trail running and I've done a lot of trail runs in my life and and it's you know there's like a pacing there's an element of like pacing and appreciating where you are and, you know, embracing the positive moments and breathing into the challenging moments. And so I think way back on the blog there, there's like life is like an ultra marathon, right. Yeah, <laughs> where right. You're like, you it just that. keeps going <laughs> and there's another <laughs> hill around the corner and yeah. sometimes it's downhill and it's fun and you feel great. But a lot of times there's just work and unexpected things or, you know, an animal on the trail or whatever, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really wrote that in, in hopes of just sharing tools to get through difficult things. And it was interesting because I usually don't write things that have any sort of political context to them, but I felt. That it was really important for me to share that as a trauma therapist because it so directly impacted mm-hmm. my work. And I got a few responses that were saying, oh, well, what about compassion? And, you know, I, I think in the way I wrote it, I wasn't trying to judge anyone or make any political statements other than this, the reality that I saw that, like, this has really been hard for, you know, people who basically had entire departments dedicated to protecting them that then the entire, you know, page got deleted from like, the <laughs> website. Yeah. And all of a sudden you go, Oh, what? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I can have really big scaled back conversations about compassion and all of that, but it also just felt so important for me to say and value, you know, what I saw and to s- not just like speak up on behalf of it, but to speak it right. Just to, yeah. to be clear about yeah. it. And, and I know, you know, here in the u.s at least there's in the last i don't know how many years but there's been just a lot of hard conversations happening and so i think we can we can celebrate those and when we do have strong reactions to something or we feel defensive we can go okay well what's what's going on there Uh, and explore it a little more and you know it's still even with that take rests and Uh (laughs) know what you're valuing and what you're committed to and pace ourselves
0: What a beautiful place to come from. Yeah, curiosity and also expression, being honest and genuine. Some of us call it being authentic. That's what you're doing as well. That's one more thing. And um, speaking of power, not that you mentioned that word, I have a question for you. We're almost at the end. I have so many other questions, but I have to add this one. What is true power to you, Lisa? Oh, yeah, we
2: could go on for another whole. Oh, yes,
0: right, right yeah for sure
2: one expression that comes to mind that's important to me is when we think of power we're often thinking about power over and power under but power with um Mm -hmm. feels really important to me and to the work that i do where we really are stronger when we can be interdependent and collect our strengths and in some capacity work together so I feel like we often think of power in terms of, well, this is the leader and this is the follower instead of this is the leader and this is the other leader. Oh, <laughs> or This yeah. is the yeah. specialist here and this is the specialist there. This is the voice for this and this is the voice for that. And, yeah. you know, the other concept that comes to mind when there is that hierarchical power um, is this something called rational authority. And this comes from Eric Fromm, Who's written a lot and it's in, I think it's in his book to have or to be, but rational authority he defines as others are dependent on this authority and the authority is seeking to serve those that are dependent. It's going, okay, how do we best take care of, you could think of it in a family, like a parent that's going, what's best for the child? That's rational authority and irrational, irrational authority is seeking to exploit. So it's, well, how do I, you know, how do I get something out of this? child child, or this citizen or this whatever else and so that's another way I think we can kind of organize our thinking around power is it, and sometimes we kind of shy away from being in a place of power because it usually has responsibility to say you know with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or with any leadership position right but we can bring in okay well I'll be in rational authority and people talk a lot about service here I'll be in service but I'll also still claim yes I, I do have decision-making power or I have some leadership power here and then we can also think of power with so it's like how do I develop a council around me or how do I support people who maybe are quote-unquote followers or dependents in you know making choices that are empowering for them instead of just being the only one right so we could go on forever (laughs) (laughs) but those are those are a few things that come to mind and and I think with Mm. that you know, we talked about, or I talked about, feeling like everyone has love within them, and I think we all have power too. But it's really challenging to sometimes to connect with it, or to you know, sometimes we get lost in different dynamics that are that are really powerful, and we <laughs> the dynamics could be powerful too, mm-hmm. you know. And so sometimes we kind of forget that we have even just the power of choice, right? Mm-hmm. We have the choice, often not always, but we have the choice of. You know how we're thinking, or what we're um, allowing in our lives, or you know whether we go or stay, or you know move forward, or whatever it is. So I think looking to looking to what choices we do have and expanding that view as much as possible can also be really empowering.
0: That very much sounds to me. Yeah, this being open, curious. Yeah, that is a place of. Power, if we can label that. You talked about earlier, uh, inspired by your mother, from the center out, you have that Mm -hmm. as a blog post, a different perspective on healing. And there you see, you write, our hearts connect with each other. The mind and body help the heart remain grounded and centered, freeing it to share in powerful ways beyond just top down or bottom up only approaches. I love that first part of this passage. is just, um, I mean, it means a lot to me in that sense if there is meaning here. Our hearts connect with each other, right? It goes back to the love, the energy of love. I think I'm going to title this, The Energy of Love. <laughs> this, I love this it. Yeah, please. That's <laughs> um,
2: perfect. Yeah, and it's like a network, right? I mean, if you think of, sometimes people talk about... Um, energetic cords, and you know yeah. sometimes from the perspective of cutting them but like you think about the people you're connected to in your heart and the people they're connected to in their heart and it just ends up exponentially just you know traveling all around the world at a certain point uh, and I think that's a really beautiful kind of web way to think that that we don't always we don't always get a lot of that imagery or hear a lot about that
0: but Right. we can feel it. <laughs> yes, right. We can feel it. That bigger picture. So my ending questions before I ask them, I think I have a couple of them for you, Lisa. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in one of your books or your blog posts?
2: You know, there's something on my wall that that maybe fits here. I have a quote from Rumi framed that I've had for the longest time and I carry it every time I move and I always put it up near where I practice yoga, because I'll end up seeing it and something will resonate. But it just says, what is the body? Endurance. What is love? Gratitude. What is hidden in our chest? Laughter. What else? Compassion.
0: And that's by Rumi. This is something that you also explore. that you make me smile. The entire interview, I have a smile on my face and giggling and uh that's a beautiful inspiration so you're coming yeah from that place chest heart oh I love Rumi who doesn't (laughs) so thank you for reading that so my ending questions for you let's see I'll ask yeah let me ask you this one what is another word for healing growth if you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving, losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? I would be on the computer last. <laughs> Tell <laughs> <I'm> about it. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. uh, Right. Uh, yeah. I would say the same, I guess. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> funny, else right? I'd keep doing. I would keep <laughs> taking my dogs for walks. I'd keep going for hikes. i keep hugging my people, but I would... <laughs> be on the computer (laughs) last
0: that's funny how we spend a lot of time on computers yeah and even that is life being life isn't it there's a need for that somehow Mm -hmm. somehow and Um.
2: i mean it connects us in a way that's so amazing and incredible and i'm so grateful for but i've joked when i was writing my last book yoga for trauma recovery that i was like i think for some people the computer takes your energy and sucks it out of your
1: face.
2: <laughs> like I said to you earlier, my brother, my brother's a computer programmer and he got all the tech genes in the family. And I don't think it's true for him. He can sit in front of the computer for a very long time and be very happy. But for me, it feels like it just takes my chi and my life energy and pulls it out of my face
0: and brings it somewhere else. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it depends, right? Yeah. It depends. It's a perspective yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all different. Yeah, for sure. And my last question is, what are three things about life you wish everyone to have or know before they lose the body?
2: Three things about life I wish for everyone to know or have before they lose the body. I, I you know, I wish for everyone to experience deep love and being cared for. I would wish for everyone to experience laughter Uh and joy. uh And I would wish for everyone to, before they leave, have a positive experience of embodiment. Like, oh wow, this is, this is my body and it works. And even these are the ways that it does work. And these are the things I can do with it. Right. (laughs) Like, because before we leave, like, you know, how sad to have a whole journey where you can't. Enjoy the ride,
0: enjoy the experience. And so, yeah, those are the things I would wish. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your presence, your beautiful, elevated, fun, spiritually fun. That's what I call it. Uh, The wisdom Mm. that flows through you, the way you express um, what you do. It's just beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much again.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor.
0: And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Yeah, well, since I have a mouthful of a last name, um, yes. I do have com, but also How We Can Heal is my primary website. So you can go to howwecanheal.com and it's H-O-W and then another W-E. Um, C-A-N-H-E-A-L.com, and then all the programs are there. That's basically the home for the Center for Yoga and Trauma Recovery. Uh, All the training programs are there, tons of resources, all the blog posts you mentioned. There is also a page for just mental health resources, a lot of um, emergency contact numbers throughout the world, and there's also some videos and and things, so there's, there's plenty of... Support, inspiration, and um, information there for anyone who's interested.
0: Yes, and I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Bye for
1: now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lisa Danilchuk and her work, please visit HowWeCanHeal.com.